Well, I don't know about you, but I'm excited for tomorrow. I, I think as I get older, it becomes less about the presents, more about watching my kids enjoy presents and enjoying the day, not just the presents, of course. I was thinking particularly as I was getting ready for tonight how much I appreciate our family's sort of tradition of turkey dinner and what we get ready, and Mom's been busy cooking stuff already this week. Thinking about my hunger, which is uh, vast and, and uh, seldom satisfied. <laughs> Maybe that's your hunger also. I was thinking of not just the hunger, but hunger as a means of wanting and wanting to not just have good food, but also enjoy being with family and friends. And I'm glad we can do that, not just tomorrow, but throughout the holidays. But I think I'm hungry or longing most of all for a deeper life with God. Hungry in that sense of wanting to be filled and satisfied, not just physically in my stomach, but filled and satisfied in terms of the longings in my heart to know that I'm held and kept by someone who loves me. And not just anyone, but the one who created and redeemed me. That he'll hold me fast no matter what happens in life. That I, I'm, I'm secure and found in him and I can trust that he'll look after my, my family and, and my marriage and my finances and whatever else is going on. I know that I can trust in him. That there's a hunger there for a deeper walk with him. I think I'm hungry also. And, and I think you could probably join me in this hunger. There's a hunger for us to see our world made right, isn't there? There's a hunger to see things kind of resolve, not just with the pandemic and its restrictions. I think we all have a hunger to kind of see that come to an end. But there's also a hunger to just see the brokenness in our world mended and made whole. And even sometimes perhaps most of all the brokenness in our own lives to have that sorted out to let God transform us. Christmas is also about hunger in a variety of ways. Of course, it's about the arrival of Jesus. And in, the, in perhaps the first sense, we could say Israel was hungry for a Messiah to come, hungry for God to return and set things right. There's an assurance that he would come. So there's a past arrival, but also tonight we would celebrate and look forward to his future arrival. There's a hunger in our hearts today to see him return. But beyond just a past hunger and a, and a future longing, there's also an immediate present hunger. There's a, a way in which Jesus arrives afresh in our hearts each and every day. And as that song sang, we pray that he would, he would come and be welcomed into our hearts in a fresh way, even tonight. And so those readings we heard are are full of three things. There's an expectation or a hunger for God to come, and then there's the fulfillment of that expectation. There's his actual arrival, which we read about in Luke. And then we get in Titus a call to respond to Jesus' coming. What, now that he's arrived, what are you going to do about it? It demands some sort of response, doesn't it? I listened the other day to the radio and... and um, it was a reflection, a Christmas reflection, and, and the author was saying, at some point in your life, you're going to have to deal with the question of who is Jesus. And how you answer that question will shape the rest of your life. 
It's the most important question for you to answer. What will you do? And Titus prompts us to think about what we will do. As I mentioned, our readings start with Isaiah and with Israel longing for God to come. This Advent, we talked and and walked through some of the minor prophets and how each of them spoke a word of judgment against the sinfulness of the nations, but then also spoke a word of hope that God wasn't going to leave people in their brokenness and sin. He was going to come and rescue them. Hungry expectation for the joy and the life and the wholeness that they were waiting for God to come and bring about. And then, like I said, in the Luke passages, we see the fulfillment of that. Jesus arrives into the darkness and the brokenness of a sinful people, into Israel, which is occupied by a foreign nation at the time with the Roman Empire. And he arrives as their king, but he's not born into a palace, of course, and the wise men learn that along the way. He's not where they expect him to be. Jesus doesn't come with a particular political affiliation to to promulgate among the masses. He doesn't land himself among the learned intelligentsia or the Pharisees or the Sadducees in their various camps. Instead, he arrives, and in a surprising twist in Israel's hungry expectation, identifies with the poor and the broken. In their song, Child of the Poor, William Dixon and Scott Sopper penned these words, helpless and hungry, lowly, afraid, wrapped in the chill of midwinter, comes now among us, born into poverty's embrace, new life for the world. Who is this who lives with the lowly, sharing their sorrows and knowing their hunger? This is Christ, revealed to the world in the eyes of a child, a child Of the poor. Jesus is born among the lowly, sharing their hunger, knowing their sorrows, but also the one who will indeed satisfy their deepest hungers. And as I said, Titus then prompts us to respond. How will we deal with Jesus? He has dealt with our sin and with our death, and he invites us into new life. Will you embrace that? Are you hungry for one to come and fill you afresh and set things right in your own life? Friends, God knows the hungers in your heart tonight. He knows the longings in your heart. And when we embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he comes to satisfy and to meet us in those places of our deepest longing to know that we are well and loved and can live a life of meaning. On Sunday, we talked about Bethlehem as the place of Jesus' birth and how fitting it is that Bethlehem is called, really means the house of bread, that the one born in the house of bread is going to have bread show up various times in his own ministry. Of course, he's going to be tempted to turn stones into bread, right, in, in confronting Uh, the temptations from the enemy. He's also going to reveal himself as the giver of bread in the wilderness place, purposefully reflecting how Yahweh gave bread to the children of Israel in their wilderness wandering. So Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, is going to provide bread to the hungry people in the wilderness place and signal who he truly is. But most of all, I think Jesus 
describes himself as living bread. And so the connection between us thinking of Jesus satisfying our hungers is one that's, that Jesus himself points to in the word, that he's come to give himself bread for the life of the world. I know I've mentioned it before, but it's, it's worth remembering that as hungry creatures, implicit in that relationship is, is the reality that something needs to lay down its life to sustain me. And it doesn't matter whether you're a vegetarian or not. An animal or a plant or something that had life then had to lay down that life in order to keep me going. That's what eating is all about. Something dies in order to keep something else alive. And when Jesus describes himself as bread given for the life of the world, it's such a fitting picture because he's going to be the one in the ultimate sense to lay down his life so that we can truly live. That as we come to the bread of life and put our faith in him, it can truly sustain and transform us. That in that death is true and abiding life. And all of that's foreshadowed, of course, in his birth in that small, seemingly insignificant, out-of-the-way town, house of bread town, right? But if that wasn't enough, the idea of Jesus giving himself as food for us shows up again in another important detail. It's a detail we often remember and draw attention to, but I don't think we dwell on the significance of it. Because, of course, where do Mary and Joseph lay Jesus? In a manger. And what's a manger? Well, it's a feeding trough, after all. And so in that image, in the act of making him a bed in the place of feeding, Mary and Joseph, likely beyond their fullest understanding, were giving the picture, uh, a tangible picture to the world of what this baby had come to do, of Jesus' own life and mission, that he was going to give himself as food, as bread, lay down his life so that others could live. Whenever we think of our own hungers, we're reminded that we can't live in isolation from each other. Someone's involved in bringing about food in my own life. And I'm very thankful for that. Someone has to keep me going so I can keep eating. Someone along the way. And if we approach that hunger prayerfully, we can realize that it calls us to consider our own dependence on someone else for life. We cannot ultimately live on our own. We depend on someone else. And it points us to God that we can't be self-sufficient in the end. We need someone else to nourish us and to give us true meaning. And so fully in that sense, our hungers for love and for community and for things to be well are wrapped up in Jesus, in his life given for us. And that's what we celebrate tonight, friends. We celebrate the birth of the one who lays himself down in the feeding trough, the one who will give his life as a ransom for many, the one who invites us into abundant life by laying down his own life 
to become food for us so that as we eat and turn to him, we can be transformed. And the presence of God makes a difference from that day forward. That's what Titus talks about. He, he talks about the call to come to Jesus, the bread of life, and then to live a changed life. It's meant to make a difference in our lives. Jesus has died and rose again, so we would be freed from sin and death and enter into that life. Here again, Titus 2, 11 to 14, in light of that. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. That's the heart of God for you. That's the compassion of God that he would lay down his life and take on your sin and death that you may live. Jesus is Isaiah's light in the darkness and Bethlehem's bread of life, and he's the goodness of God, says Titus. Titus 3 says he saved us, not because of our own works, but according to his own mercy. And it's so easy to get that mixed around in our heads, isn't it? To think it's about my performance before God that gets me right with him. But the Bible's really clear that it's not. Wanting to live a godly and disciplined life is the fruit of having experienced the joy of being in Christ. Having met him, it should prompt us to want to live for him. We don't live for him so our performance tally gets straightened out so we can then get in on what he wants to do. No, we come broken as we are, like the prodigal son coming home to the father and finding that God is ready to embrace us, that he's made room for us at the table. That idea of extending compassion to us individually in salvation is crucial, but there's also a call then for the church to extend compassion to others, right? And I don't know about you, but I've received several emails from people, organizations I don't remember ever signing up for, asking me for money. Has this happened to you? All sorts of, apparently it's a year-end thing. There's a call in people's hearts. There's a longing often that shows up around Christmas. I'm sure, Pastor Al, you've seen it at the food bank. People just sort of go, it's Christmas time. I guess we're supposed to give. I guess there's a a sense of wanting to extend compassion to others, and that's really good. I mean, it's not meant to be just a Christmassy thing, but, you know, it kind of gets spiked up in people's imaginations at this time of year. But, friends, God has given that heart of compassion to the church to live out in how we extend grace and hope to others, just as God has opened himself to us, allowed us to come and to receive his forgiveness and his life and his hospitality. Think of Jesus coming and eating and drinking with sinners, so much so that the religious folk think of him as a glutton and a drunkard. You know, when was the last time that glutton and drunkard meant you were, you were following the way of Jesus? That's the Bible's description of, of what Yahweh does when he's among sinful people. He invites them over for dinner. Jesus' hospitality becomes a part of the mission of the church. So much so, I was thinking about this, that when we were working on our five-year vision as a church, we specifically included missional outreach as part of that vision that we wanted to seek the good of the city. 
because Jesus plants his local church, not just our congregation, but various congregations in, in Dryden to be a light to the city, to extend his grace and hope to the city. That's part of what being a Christian is about. And so just as God has extended his life and his hope to us individually, there's a call then for the church to extend hope and grace to others. That's part of Jesus' heart for us. And I was thinking when we made that five-year vision, I was thinking that's really great to say, you know, just to write on paper, let's, let's try and be a loving presence for the good of the city. Brilliant. How do you do that, actually, right? Well, I'm, I have the pleasure tonight of actually making an announcement for the first time uh, that's become public today, which is, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a way for us to be a loving presence to the good of the city. Uh, the Kenora District School Board has agreed to partner with our church to launch a pilot project uh, f- to make an overnight homeless shelter in Dryden. And they've released, can I say how much they've released? This is live streamed, isn't it? We have enough money as a church to hire two full-time staff to launch uh, a three-night-a-week uh, overnight emergency homeless shelter in Dryden. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but there's people sleeping in the skywalk right now. You know the walkway that goes over the highway? The town's wondered about shutting it down because there's people sleeping in there and there's drugs happening and stuff. There's nowhere for people to go. Now, that might not hit home with you if you live a rather secluded life <laughs> and you're just kind of in with your own, your own thing. But I have people coming to the door fairly often looking for help. And so I'm really excited that as a church we can come alongside other organizations in the town to actually make a difference in the lives of some of the people in our city. And there's going to be more information released about that uh, in the coming weeks. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking to his disciples about living for him. And the disciples say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Friends, there's a call for us from Titus to respond in a way that extends the compassion and hope of God to others. Thinking back to that song, who is this who lives with the lowly? sharing their sorrows and knowing their hunger. This is Christ, revealed to the world in the eyes of a child, the child of the poor. And so, friends, this Christmas, as you consider not only your own hungers, but the hungers of others, may we remember the bread of life, the one found in the feeding trough, who's given himself so that you may truly live. And I'd like to lead us in prayer tonight And if you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never made that step of saying, yes, I want to follow him, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and and there's going to be a time where I'm going to repeat a prayer of of just inviting Jesus into your heart. And if you want to do that tonight, even uh, just in your own heart as we're praying, I really encourage you to do that. Because let me tell you, you can try as much as you can to try and satisfy your hungers with something else. But in the end, Jesus is the only one who will truly satisfy. So let's pray together. 
as we think on him and are thankful for all that Christmas means. Lord, tonight we are uh, so blessed with so much in our lives. With the opportunity, Lord, to gather this Christmas to celebrate you, to be with family, to be with loved ones. Lord, in your word, you tell us you came that we may have life and have it abundantly. There's a, there's a fullness of life that's found in you. And Jesus, we're aware tonight of our own hungers for abundant life. We realize you're the one who can truly satisfy. You're the one who can take away our sin and our death and bring your healing love to bear in our lives. And so, Lord, if, if uh, we thank you that you, you extend that opportunity to know your compassion and your grace at every moment. We think of the passage in your word that says you stand at the door and knock. You're waiting for us to respond, Lord, to what you've done. You demand a response. We can ignore you. We can pretend it's not real. Or we can bow the knee and realize you've come to save us. And so, friends, just even as we're praying tonight, if, if you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can pray it with me in, in the quietness of your own heart. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you... You feel tonight, I need to rededicate my life to the one who gave his life for me. And you can do that also. So, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died for my sin, that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my Savior and follow him as my Lord from this day forward. Guide my life and help me, Lord, to do your will and to follow you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If that's you tonight and you've never given your heart to the Lord, I'd love to talk to you more about that after the service.